I'm trying through Reform Sports to help people make the most informed decision. So you talked about bucking the system. Like what would give someone the confidence to feel good about that? Because they're getting that pressure of, am my kid going to miss out? Or, you know, I'm being told this. Well, let me listen to these 50 episodes. Let me read this newsletter. I need to have the information to be able to know what's the best case scenario for myself and my child. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Podcast. Today marks our 100th episode, an exciting milestone for Reform Sports. I want to thank the Reform Sports Podcast team, our incredible guests, and all of our listeners for their continued support and passion for helping to reform youth sports. To celebrate our 100th episode, we're mixing things up a little. I'm proud to say that Peter Carlisle, Managing Director of Olympics in Action Sports for Octagon and co-founder of Reform Sports, is returning to the podcast, this time to interview me. Peter and I discuss our shared commitment to advocate for a better future for our kids, why the pushback I received when I initially started speaking out about today's youth sports culture further motivated me to start Reform Sports, and my advice for parents looking to buck the system and step outside the youth sports cultural norms. Back at it, 100th episode. Man, this is really special. We're kind of flipping the script on it today. I'm going on the other side of the mic. I have my man and partner from Octagon Olympics and Action Sports, Peter Carlisle, someone I admire. I've kind of stalked all over the country for about three years before uh, I think borderline strong-arming him or guilt-tripping him into uh, into getting involved. But no, he, him and his team, uh, Brooke Shandor, Drew Johnson, Amanda Silver, and everyone over at Octagon, uh, Megan as well, uh, thank you so much for all your help. And it's just I'm, I'm excited to be able to kind of be on the other side and let Peter kind of take the reins here. And let's see what this looks like for 100th episode. It's exciting. Thanks, Nick. Uh, well, first off, congrats on the 100th episode. Come a long way over a fairly short period of time. And uh, pretty exciting. You've grown the audience to about 5 million per month, which is fantastic. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm excited today to not just flip the roles in terms of you being interviewed, but I think your audience would love to know more about your story. You spend 100 episodes, or 99 anyway, getting into their stories and sort of figuring out what makes them tick and, and how that feeds into the whole youth sports movement that you're trying to address. And, you know, you're one of the most passionate driven people I've known. And I'd like to get at what's behind that, because I'm sure it informs the work you're doing now through Reform Sports Project. So why don't you start by just, you know, take us way back to your childhood, take us back to your experience in youth sports. Thank you, Peter. Um, God, when I when I think about and, and it's kind of all ties into to why I became so passionate about, you know, youth sports and all that is that, you know, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a very blue collar part of the Northeast in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, you know, two awesome parents. I had two older brothers. Sports was the big part of our life. My wife always kids with me um, because, you know, she's from Ohio and, you know, her parents were very much entrenched in making sure that the foundation in school was like, hey, let's do academics first and, and all of that. And, you know, for me, it was kind of like, uh, you know, both my parents, God bless them. It was about being a great person first. And then <laughs> sports is kind of going to be the trump card and everything in our life and just do fine in school and uh, and be a good person. And, and why that's so important to me is because it helped me get a college education. I would have never gone to college. I hated school. I hated the academic piece of it. 
course, I love the socialization piece of it. But to bring it back to, to youth sports, it, it was a big thing in my house. I have two older brothers. One is eight years older than me. Uh, one is six years older than me. So growing up, watching them play youth sports and high school sports, I was the little kid brother, you know, the bat boy, the ball boy at all their, you know, football and baseball events. And, uh, you know, that was a big deal in our house and in our city. They were good athletes. And at the time, when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, in my mind, I might as well have been living with like Tom Brady and, you know, whoever the best linebacker. I thought they were the, the they were on the cover of the paper. They were winning state championships. So to me, I was like, oh, my God, I, I live with these two superheroes, uh, superhuman people. And I just admired my older brother so much. So for me, it was a big deal. Sports was a big part of my life. Um, as I said, my parents did everything they could. Uh, they didn't have a lot of means, but it was a big deal for them to have us involved, being part of teams. For me, it's like this holy grail. When I look at youth sports, I look at what it provided for me and my brothers. Neither of my parents were college educated. Me and my brothers all have college educations. My older brother has a master's degree. So that all was a direct result of us playing sports growing up. None of us were, you know, big time scholarship athletes going to power five schools or anything, but it, it helped us along the way. More importantly, it helped us to develop the skill sets that we have that that help us in life. So for me, you know, to bring it back, my experience as as I became a parent and my kids got involved, and as a lot of the audience knows, I have six kids. Sports became a big part of my children's lives and, and my life uh, as a youth coach. And I started to just see that the youth sports, you know, culture that we see today was was different than than what I experienced growing up. Um, it wasn't about the community. It wasn't about uh, so much as the community and the things that you extract from. It was more about you know, performance driven, keeping up with the Joneses, early specialization, like all of these like ideologies that were never talked about, at least I never heard growing up. Um, and I actually got sucked into it a little bit. Before you get to that, what was it like when you were a kid? I mean, were you, you were playing football and baseball or were you playing other sports? I played organized football from the time I was seven years old. I played organized baseball from the time I was seven years old, just recreation. So it was seasonal. Of course, I'm in the Northeast, so everything was seasonal. Um, basketball was just something I played in the backyard. It was something I played in the neighborhood at the parks. I loved basketball. I, I wasn't particularly the greatest at it. Baseball, I always knew right away was my, was my favorite sport. I loved it. I think I performed well at it. Same thing with football, but I didn't necessarily love the physicality of football. Even though I played it all the way through high school, I was a quarterback. I didn't particularly love getting smacked around a little bit. So, so I never really had a desire to like go beyond high school. Basketball, why I love so much, and I played it CYO in high school. I think I loved it so much because there was no expectations. I can like go out there and be athletic, be a rebounder, and kind of facilitate and just have fun. And I really looked forward to after football season, kind of, I always looked at basketball as like this downtime. You know, I'm going to play, have fun, I'm going to stay athletic and competitive, and simultaneously gear up for baseball. It was always like this mindset of, I got to get ready for the baseball season. So, you know, looking back on it, it was this free play, this recreation, this stuff. But I also learned playing basketball as like a rec player, like how to be a just a team guy. You know, in football, I was always the starting quarterback from the time I, every team I ever played on, I was a starting quarterback. And in baseball, I was always a starting catcher. So I felt like I always had these expectations. Um, not put on me by anyone else, but intrinsically, like I wanted to be the guy and, and all of that. Whereas basketball, I didn't care as much about that. It was all about having fun. So that was my life, my entire life. It was either I was either following my brothers around to watch them play football and baseball. And then when it was my time, it was like, all right. And I remember 
one of the biggest things is they won a state championship in high school. It was the first one in the city for like 50 years. And it was like a big deal. And, 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 and no one in our city had ever won a high school baseball state championship. There were six high schools in the city. No one ever won. So my goal was I got to, I got to match my brothers. By the time I graduate, I got to be on a team that wins the first state championship. And that, I swear to God, that was like something I thought about from the time I was like in sixth grade all the way through. And then we ended up, you know, my senior high school winning one. And that was a big deal today, still to this point. That's why I'm such a big believer in the importance of high school and scholastic sports. It's like, those are some of the most, I shouldn't even say some, they're, they're probably the most enjoyable moments of my athletic time, even though I played in college and even a year overseas uh, professionally in baseball, like that senior year in particular of high school, I still am good friends, but um, yeah, just the bantering, the camaraderie, the relationships that I developed, those are so sacred to me. So all those pieces kind of, you know, really spawned my ideology once I saw my kids getting into sports and the importance of youth sports. So that's, I mean, that's high level, you know, high school sports for sure. And yet you had the space to play three sports through high school, essentially, including pickup. And I think that's different than what we see now, for sure. I mean, and I'm older than you are. I'm 55. And, uh, you know, every athlete played three sports and, and then played other sports pickup. And there was plenty of space to do that. But that's different now, isn't it? I mean, as a parent, how do you see those differences? And I presume that's part of why you grew frustrated and decided, hey, I got to do something about this. I'm glad you brought that up. Everyone I ever competed against, whether it was a football, baseball or basketball, the best of the best, you know, played other sports. Uh, I can think of, you know, Tony Ortiz, guy who was the Gatorade Player of the Year in football, who uh, who went on to play linebacker at Nebraska. He was a track All-American, played basketball, played everything. Steve Coughlin, who, uh, you know, a lot of people may know from you know, ESPN, Stanford, Steve. Um, I played against him in football at Sonia High School. The dude was, he was a freak in every sport he ever played, uh, basketball, baseball, football. So that was just what everyone did. And today, everything's turned into year round, right? Everything's turned into year round. Now, I can't, and I, I like to go on the record and just say, I can't tell you that if I grew up in the Southeast, I wouldn't have played fall baseball. Like I might have, you know, by the time I got to high school, I'm glad I didn't because it was just too damn cold to play baseball up in the Northeast at that time. But once I got to high school, I probably, if I had that option, I, I might've, you know, at that point. But yeah, I mean, that was the norm. And it's tough today to navigate with your kids. And, and my wife and I, not that we balk the system, you know, because I got to tell you, man, initially I never, I never felt pressured to like do that. I took it personally. I guess, you know, when I started hearing, and this is what happened, I was coaching you know, my kids rec teams. And I was voted to, to be like the all-star coach at 7U, 8U, 9U. And that was a lot of fun. But that's when the intensity kind of picks up. It's kind of a commitment over the summer, like the kids get voted to the all-star team. And the intensity is it's, it's about trying to compete to win at that point. And that's what kind of everyone signs up for. Like it's more of a commitment for all-stars, which was great, great experience. But that's when you kind of, st I started hearing the the chirping about, well, let's take this to the, the next level and let's keep this team together. And in order to get to the next level, you got to play one sport year round. That, that I would hear parents saying, that's what I'm being told. And I'd be like, well, who the hell is telling you that? Because I played with guys who, who got to the big leagues who, who never did that. And I started reaching out to coaches and guys that I know from my experience who still are out there right now. And I'm like, hey, am I the only one that sees some really interesting ideology? And it was just 
echoed to me like, yeah, we're seeing it. We've been seeing it for years. You're spot on. We're seeing it at the collegiate level. It's like transforming. So it kind of like really opened my eyes to these feelings I was having about something not being right in youth sports. It, it validated it. And I'm the type of person where, <laughs> so what ended up happening was I wasn't really on social media at all until like 2015 or 16. It's when my wife and I, you know, Amy got connected and she's like, get on Facebook. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then I started posting and I, whoever hears this, they may be like, I didn't realize he was doing that. I intentionally posted some things that I knew people were going to see who were kind of close to me that I was probably going to maybe piss off. You know, I started putting some opinions out there and it was, it was intentional. I wanted to see if I was going to get a reaction, quite frankly, but it was calculated and it got some some people hot. And I was like, man, there's something to this. Like, I'm going to keep pushing this. And then, you know, I, I, once I hear the pushback, oh, that's all I need is a little gasoline. And I'm like, well, screw you. And this is in my head. I'm going, screw you. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. And I'm just going to, no one's going to stop me. And, I, and, and, and that's kind of what happened. And then of course, when I have those things going on in my head, I need validation. So I reach out to people who I know know more than me. And when they validate it, it's, it's guns blazing. And that's kind of what I did. I had no idea. So you're talking about a 100th episode. I, I, I don't know if I ever listened to a podcast before I started this. So I, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, 99 of them, uh, you know, talking to, you know, real stakeholders in the sports industry, like, you know, the best of the best athletes, the best, the best coaches, and, you know, the overwhelming majority seem to be agreeing with your perspective. I mean, seem to be, you know, encouraging diversified, you know, sports activities, time and space to play other sports and cross training, uh, and so on and so forth, not only for, you know, the healthy balance as a person, but also because these athletes and coaches actually think that it produces, you know, better performance. And I think that that's, that's the irony, because all of you know these players and coaches that are at the level that these parents you're describing are hoping their kids get to they're saying don't specialize and yet this whole youth sports movement is accelerating towards specialization and there's just this massive disconnect and i think that's sort of what brought us together in terms of like trying to shed some light on that disconnect and trying to um, trying to encourage, you know, the restoration of balance, basically. You know, as you were just describing that, I, I, I made me think like, I'm not someone who played at the, the highest of highest levels, right? I'd played with guys who got to the highest level. But to me, it's almost a common sense thing. Like, I was the youngest of three. I graduated high school when I was 17. I didn't turn 18 until I was already a freshman, you know, on campus at college. So in hindsight, I'm like, God, I wish, you know, I wish I was a year older or whatever, but it ended up being a blessing. I guess the reason I'm saying that is like, there's so many people out there trying to create this narrative, um, you know, this narrative of, you know, one way. And, and there's, there's something to be said about leaving something in the tank. I mean, I think everyone that listens to this remembers, whether it's their baseball experience, their wrestling experience, basketball, football, doesn't matter. That kid who was the best kid in, in their mind in the country at 10, 11 years old. And by the time they get to high school, they weren't even playing anymore. And I specifically remember several in baseball who were throwing harder than everybody else. And unfortunately, back in the late 80s, early 90s, and you know, there wasn't as much education on, on arm care. And the best pitchers would throw like every game and their arms would blow out. You know, so, so I'm glad that we've caught up 
you know, from a baseball standpoint to arm care and monitoring pitch call, uh, pitch counts and all that. But everyone remembers that kid that was the stud at that early age who phased out. So to me, it was just normal to think like if I'm a college coach and I never coached a day in college, but it's like, why wouldn't I want a kid who has this broad, diversified, competitive background who's excellent in this sport, but is never locked in on it? What happens when I get he or she here and they do lock in on it? How much, how much is still left in the tank from an upside perspective? So to me, that just made so much sense. And more importantly than that, I've known kids who have burnt out, you know, who got tired of it, who were doing it all year long, who had external pressure, you know, who had parents that were really bearing down on them uh, or, you know, whoever was bearing down on them and they got tired of it and they were so talented. And then the more of these conversations I had, I realized that that was a common theme. And it was like, how is this not common sense? But it's, it's really not. I actually remember when I first started hosting the whole, you know, the importance of multi-sport and someone would always comment. I don't remember who it is, but anyway, he would always say, you're just pushing the agenda or you're, you're trying to help the multi-sport, you know, revenue stream. You know, you're trying to, you're, you're wrong. You're simply pushing an agenda. And I would go agenda like this is how it never dawned on me that that can actually be someone's perspective, because to me, it just made so much sense, like balance. And why would you want your kid you know, they say early to early to uh, ripe, early to rot. You know what I mean? So it's like the, the longer the delay. And then I found out from all these interviews like David Epstein, and all these different coaches, like there's science. There's actually science behind like delaying gratification, like from a physical standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, like allowing. And it's tough. You know, it's tough as a parent because your kid will say to you, I really want to do this. But I always go back to the quote I read about Nomar Garcia Parra. My kids want to eat ice cream every meal. But I have to be the one to tell them, no, you know, I, I can't let them do it. And I think the same thing is said needs to be done and approach in sports. Yeah, you see you see uh, posts occasionally where, you know, an eight year old has committed to a college program. I mean, how can an eight year old know that he wants to go to college, where he wants to go to college or even what sport he may want to play in college? I find that to be unrealistic. And so to your point. If you're a coach, a college coach, and you're, you know, you're valuing different approaches at the youth sports level, I think when you get to the age of 18 and you know why you want to play a particular sport and you know what drives you to, to get better at that sport, then that is much more reliable than the kid who has only played the one sport, was told that that's what you ought to do. And, you know, you mentioned burnout, for sure burnout, but also just in terms of the drive that you have and understanding what you're going to get out of that sport. I think an athlete that has come to it on his or her own um, is going to be, uh, I think, much better positioned to, you know, play at the collegiate level or just to take the sport as far as they can. You know, I think we all have seen, maybe not all, I know you have because you're client is Michael Phelps, but like, and I'm sure you've seen it in your own, you know, athletic career yourself. We've all seen the outliers, you know, I, I saw and competed against kids from an early age. And now even as a, as a father, my kids will compete. And I'm like, Oh my God, we all know when we see a kid that's different, you know, that really at like 12, 13, 14, like, wow, that just looks different. That sounds different. But those kids are outliers. My kids, you know, my, my, my son, Mark, who's, who's going to be seven, 
he takes piano lessons, right? He just likes it, right? He's taking little piano lessons. You know, he's not the next Beethoven, right? But my point is, how many parents take their kids to piano lessons or gymnastics lessons or sign them up for baseball and get told, wow, your kid might be special. You know, your kid, if we do this at this year, you know, whatever it is, if we start coming in for private lessons and doing this, like, there's a chance that they can go. Like, that, that's, I'm sorry, but the outliers aren't that, they're outliers for a reason. There's not that many kids that are the next Michael Phelps, that are the next, you know, whoever, Walker Jenkins, who got just drafted down here from, from you know, Southport, North Carolina, um, who we had on the podcast who got drafted fifth overall in the Major League Baseball draft, you know, a month or two ago. Everyone knew at 12 and 13 when you saw that kid, he was different. You know, they're different. Now it's easy to sell a parent that their kid can be different. And got to, I got to tell you, man, I, I know a little bit about selling. I know a little bit about marketing. Like if I wanted to go into that business, that's exactly what I would do. And so, so cautionary tale, parents like, that's what I would do. Like I would tell everyone, man, if you lock in on, you know, Seth Pepper, right? He was a guest on our on our podcast. He's my brother-in-law. Sure. He was, I guess, a millisecond away from being an Olympian. You know, he's a Hall of Famer, University of Arizona swimmer, all these things. He he brings his daughter to gymnastics. And, you know, a couple of years ago, he told me, I think he mentioned on the podcast, he's like, they pulled me aside. And he goes, Nick, they started telling me like, hey, she's special. And he stopped him. He goes, hey, I know. And he said, I wasn't rude, but I let him know, like, I know what it's like to be in this arena and to know like, my child is going to have a childhood. I know what, you know, and I appreciate what you're saying, but he stopped because of his experience. He was able to stop them in their tracks and kind of not take the bait. Not to say that that person was coming at him with bad intentions, because that's not always the case. But how do we know who to, we have to weed people out. There are people with agendas that aren't in your kid's best interest. And as a parent, it's very easy to take the bait. And what parent wants to be the one to not give their kid the best opportunity. So I think that's what people are juggling is the, the bad apples, right? Those who don't have their kids or their family's best interests in mind versus those who, who really are trying to look out for the best interests. And it's borderline, like, it's very easy to prey on a parent's emotions. And that's what kind of pissed me off in the very beginning. I'm like, man, if there's one place we don't want to taint, like, don't taint youth sports because it was so important to me. When we return, I open up about a time I took my son's youth baseball game a little too seriously and reflect on what I would do differently with the knowledge and tools I have today. Where we left off, Peter and I were about to talk about empowering parents to make informed decisions and the positive impact these choices can have, not only on your kid, but also on your entire family. I mean, I think that, you know, as a culture, we don't, ask ourselves uh, frequently enough, what's the point of sports? What's the purpose? What's the value? We just assume that if, if you can, if you're, if you're the parent and a coach comes up to you and says, your kid's special, then you should throw everything aside and, and that becomes the priority. But why? I mean, the clients that I have, these are clients that actually can make a living by being that good at sports. But they're like, if you look at the statistics, I mean, it's it's not the wisest choice to take that path because so few athletes can get a college scholarship, can be paid to play that sport. And so if you think about it, whether it's, you know, gymnastics or hitting a baseball or whatever, those skills only have 
you know, such a, a lifespan, right? I mean, sure. when was the last time you, you know, derived any value out of hitting a baseball, right? But you had an amazing experience. You learned these lessons. You applied it to your life. And as you say, it helped you to get an education, even though that might not have been a scholarship situation because it was D3. But for baseball, maybe you wouldn't have gone to college. There are many different reasons why sports is valuable, but I don't think we think about those things and really reflect upon them. In my, uh, and this is, goes to sort of how we came together, but to me, I don't know anybody that has gotten more out of sports than me. I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there that would say the very same thing, which is terrific, right? But, but for me, there's nothing I enjoy more. I enjoyed it as I was a kid. I played competitively all the way through college, and then I kept on playing sports. I still play sports now, and I've made a living in sports. And so when I had kids, what I wanted for them was a similar experience. And so, you know, that meant playing multiple sports. That meant, you know, exposure to all sorts of different things. And it didn't mean, well, let's see how far you can go in any particular sport and let's specialize. And what I found was that you had to buck the system in order to do that. It was very, very hard. Up here in Maine, I, I played ice hockey. My kids were into ice hockey. I, had a, I built the rink in the backyard. I mean, it was it was great. And because hockey up here is probably it dominates the schedule. I mean, it's like nine months out of the year and you can you can do 12 months. But even at the age of like seven, it's you know, it starts up in August and you're not done until like May. And because my kids wanted to play soccer as well um, and I wanted them to play soccer, like I, I had to basically battle with the the hockey program in order to you know create space for them to play soccer and and it, it was really impossible because even if you were able to do that the kids were going to be disadvantaged within the hockey program and so I found that to be like completely nonsensical that like what I saw to be a very healthy approach to sports and and what my athletes and the coaches that I work with many of whom uh, you know, or at the level of the people that you've spoken to for the 99 episodes of your podcast, they would all say, yeah, that's what you want. You want, you want them to play at that age, certainly multiple sports. And despite, you know, my perspective, I, I really was very, very hard to like provide them that experience. And in the end, because they did love to play hockey, you know, and they played these other sports, what was the sport that they, they bailed on in high school? Hockey. Hmm. And when you ask why, they were burnt out. It, they were over it. The fun was gone. It was because you had to do it. Fortunately, they found other sports. But I think we're doing our kids a massive disservice in just reflexively like jumping into the flow and, and saying, OK, well, they have to specialize. This is what we're being told. This is how the system is set up and forcing these kids to choose between sports at the age of seven. And unfortunately, because that is the momentum of the system, We've got to advocate for change. We've got to like change the mindset of of the parents, of the coaches, of the administrators, of the leagues, of the schools. And it's a real uphill battle because as I've seen it all the way through, um, you know, the high school level, that imbalance is just baked into it. Would you agree with that? Oh, my God. I mean, absolutely. And I think it's important to understand, like, there's not one way. And that was one of my main driving forces starting like that. There's not one way to go about this. Like everyone's situation is different. And we're not 
I'm not trying to shove an agenda down someone's throat. However, just to your point, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, like we're trying, I'm trying through reform sports to help people make the most informed decision, right? So you talked about bucking the system. Like what would give someone the confidence to feel good about that, right? Because they're getting that pressure of, and my kid going to miss out or, you know, I'm being told this. Well, let me listen to these 50 episodes. Let me, let me, let me listen to what Nick says. Let me read these blogs. Let me read this newsletter so I can make the most informed decision. Like, I don't have to listen to, to Johnny, uh, Johnny X minor leaguer who's, who's strong arm. And I say strong arm. He's probably not, but he could be strong arming me into making me feel as though I need to do baseball year round, whatever the sport is. It's every freaking sport. It's like, I need to have the information to be able to know what's the best case scenario for myself as a parent and my child and my family. And I know my wife and I, we have six kids. So like we are limited to what we can do from a time management perspective. Now our oldest, you know, just went to college and, and is wrestling there. And my others are like entrenched in, in youth sports right now. I got two, again, a five and a seven-year-old that are just doing little kid soccer. And then my, my son's going to, my nine-year-old's going to do fall baseball. He'll do, he loves basketball, baseball, lacrosse, everything. But like we're limited, right? So we can't do all into one kid. And I don't want to. The minute we start feeling like really overwhelmed and we're overwhelmed because we have a lot of kids, that should be a signal. Like I see people all the time who once their kids get to middle school and they can play, at least down here in Wilmington, North Carolina, they can start playing middle school baseball. So now they're on, and this is like a normal situation. They're on a rec baseball team. They're on a travel baseball team. And then they start playing middle school baseball. They're on three teams at the same, that's three different schedules. That's three different, you know, practice schedules, game schedules, you know, running around, listen to each his own. But at some point, if it's going to make you miserable, make like, you got to think about it. And that might be okay for somebody, but it also might run someone into the ground. So the point is, is knowing that coaches at the collegiate level, professionals, have the information that we've talked about in podcasts that can tell you, you don't need to feel the pressure. You don't need to play year round. You don't have to play baseball, whatever the sport is all year long from the time that you're 10 till whatever. And then there are some that'll say, once you get to a certain age, once you get into high school, once you get into freshman, sophomore year, as you're getting closer and you really have a desire to play in college, that may be a time to, Hey, I'm playing three sports. Now it's time to go down to two you know, type thing, or maybe, Hey, I might get drafted or I might have a chance. Like I'm going to start training during the year and, and playing baseball year round. And there's data and science behind that. So it's important for people to understand, like, we want you to make the most informed decision. How many times you go buy a car and you, you're shopping, you're looking at the fact checks and all this stuff and pricing and do the same thing. Like, like look up this organization, like look up that organization, find out what are they about? Are the coaches about development? Like, what are they about? You know, I think it's important for people to take an active interest in vetting the folks who are going to be leaders of their child throughout their, their sport process. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense making an informed decision. I, I, I mean, so many parents will, you know, complain to me about this, the pressure that they feel to do all, you know, to play on three different teams, to spend the money to do the travel program and uh, that they have no time to go on a family vacation, let's say, and that they're afraid that if they don't do that, that their kid's going to be disadvantaged. I mean, what advice do you have, you know, to those parents? Because if they're trying to make an informed decision, that decision is like, do I disadvantage my kid? 
so that this coach, you know, he's out of favor with this coach that also coaches maybe the school team or has some other involvement in the community. And there's, there is a tremendous pressure. It's tough to make that decision. So having been through it, what's your advice to those parents? That's a great question. But my perspective is skewed from my personal experience. And why is that? Because I grew up in the Northeast and because I'm going to be 44 years old in a couple of weeks, I didn't grow up with endless amounts of time to play sport. I wasn't on multiple teams. So for me, like I remember we were on a, we went to like, I don't even know where it is, Hampton Beach. And uh, we're on this little vacation. It's like a boardwalk there or something. That was like big living for me. But anyway, we're there and my brother had, you know, my brother's going to be a senior. They were starting like spring football or something like that or, or summer football, whatever. And it was important in my family. Like, you're going home. Like you're going, you're going to be a captain. You're gone. Like we're, you're going to football. And my brother wanted to. So from, for us, the way I grew up, if you were on a team, now again, we didn't take vacations. Like, like I said, that was like a few times in my life I can remember going to Hampton Beach. It wasn't like a luxurious vacation. But we wouldn't schedule them if there were big things from our athletic. Like that was, but I will tell you like today, kids are on so many teams. There's so many tournaments. Everything's watered down. That like, who cares if you missed a Timbuktu local tournament? Like, it's different. It's different today than it was. It is watered down. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but I know for me and what I would be for my kids, like my son's a wrestler. My, my kids are older kids are wrestlers. Like then that's their sport. That's their sport that they take seriously. I would never advocate for them to, to miss something for their high school team. Like I would never, you don't, no, you're, you're doing that. So I think it's, it's a, it's a juggling act, but I think it's finding like, for me, it's like whatever sport is in season, right? Let's say you play football and baseball and you're in, and it's spring. And I've talked to coaches who have mentioned this, or if you're on a travel team and it's during high school, right? Let's say it's travel and high school baseball. Travel coaches have told me when it's high school season, high school is priority. And they talk to their kids about that. I know two coaches that have told me that who run pretty, and I've interviewed them both have had pretty nationally known organizations, Andy Parton um, and Jeff Petty have said when it's high school season, that takes precedence over travel. And then come summertime, like the flip-flop is there, but he's like, those are conversations we have with the parents. So how I navigate is, is like, if you're in season, what I mean by in season, if I'm a parent and I pull my kid off of a tournament and it's in season, this is just my perspective, right or wrong. I think I'm screwing over the rest of the kids. That's just me. Now, again, I think that there's age appropriateness. Seven, eight, nine years old, unless you're trying to get to the Little League World Series, whatever the hell, you know, if it's very important and you signed up for this short time frame, then commit to it. But if it's if you're seven years old and your family wants to go on a vacation and you're going to miss a rec ball game, then freaking miss the rec ball game. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think you're right. High school is kind of a different situation, I think, because to your point, I mean, I think as you get through this, you know, you, you can make an informed decision and you start to, you know, kids understand why they want to play a particular sport over another. And you're also making a commitment to the team and the program. But when you're 10 years old, there is like, there's a tendency now for 10 year olds even to play year round for 10 year olds to play on multiple teams, right? Yeah. So, you know, you could be playing on a travel team, you could be playing, you know, doing a clinic, you could be playing on the school team even if it's off season and at 10 years old for a parent to be shelling out that money and to feel as though if they don't make that a priority and somehow accommodate this child's, you know, three different teams at the age of 10, 
that they'll be doing their kid a disservice and that the kid will have a disadvantage in that sport. And, and coaches, it's like, you can say, we're going to pull them from, you know, to go on vacation. Well, I can tell you the coach won't like that. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, other parents won't like that. Other kids won't like that. So there is real pressure at that level. And if you have more than one kid, you just think about the, you know, the commitment required of a family to accommodate that level of, of frankly, it is specialization at the age of 10. And I think that when what I hear from parents is they take issue with that, but they don't know what to do about it because they as parents, they want to do right by their their child. And all of the signs suggest that they need to allow for this kid to participate on three teams at the same time. And to buck that system, they're afraid that they're pulling their kid out of, of the sport, essentially. And I guess that's where uh, I don't know what to tell them, because, you know, in my mind, you have to change the culture, you have to change the system, so that, that that's not such a problem if your kid doesn't play three sports. But I do think that there's a tendency nowadays for that to be commonplace and for parents to feel real pressure that they need to allow for their kids to do that. So I remember, <laughs> hence the name reform. So I remember when my son Tyler was seven and it was his own, he was playing rec baseball. And it's actually kind of, it doesn't bother me, but I learned from it. My dad at stage four cancer, he ended up passing away like five months later. But like he was down there, this was a vacation. My brother and my whole family would put together, go down to Myrtle, you know, whole family together and, that's only an hour and a half from me. And uh, we had a rec baseball game. And I wasn't, I was an assistant coach, but I was like, man, this is a great opportunity for my dad to go see Tyler play. You know, Chance Starry's going to pass and yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, I remember my brother being like, dude, miss the game. Like, what are you doing? Like, he's seven. Like, why are you going to drag dad up there? I'm like, no, 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 no. He can't miss the game. Like, dad wants to see it. And me, my, my, my dad, he wouldn't tell me he didn't want to drop an hour and a half to go watch a 7U machine pitch baseball game. But rest assured, I, I clearly I'm, I'm talking about it because it bothers me. But yeah, I, I did that. You know what I mean? And for no other reason than I thought like you don't – but like my perspective has changed. I would never do that. Not just because my dad was sick with cancer, but because no one gives a shit about a 7U baseball game. No one cares about an 8U baseball game. No one cares. Like I have a 17-year-old now. Yeah, when you're in that moment, it's a little bit different, you know, especially your first kid. I know I, I made my most mistakes with my older kids, right? Thank, you know, in many ways, thank God I get a chance to, to, to write the ship a little bit um, in some ways, right? But that's a good example of me taking it a little bit too seriously. And I'm not the only one. Like, I thought I was doing the right thing. Like, no, no, we made a commitment. We got, made a commitment to a seven year. My son played like an inning. Like, it wasn't even a big deal. But the point is, there has to be rational perspective. If I am jeopardizing a vacation, you know, that incorporates my entire family and it's disruptive like that's probably making it more about me and that's what i did wasn't my son beating down the wall going, i really want to go to this game no idea mm -hmm. so that's to me is an example of kind of the distorted thinking that you can get wrapped up in and kind of living vicariously through your kid you know like my ego at one point was tied into it and that's a hard thing to recognize um when you're caught up in it but um Oh, it's a stupid story, but to give you, I would never do that again. I'll put it to you that way. Well, when nine-year-olds are committing to play in college, you know, as a parent, you've got to be able to say, well, that's great, but I, I don't need to feel as though that's something that my kid should be doing.
Yeah, and that's the thing. You look on social media, it's like, well, so-and-so is getting an offer at 12. Like, we can't miss this 8-9 U game. And, you know, it sounds, as we're now with my perspective, it's like it sounds kind of ludicrous to think that, but it's very, very real, and it's emotion that people are feeling on a daily basis. So, Yeah, and I, th- I think that, you know, my advice on that would be listen to Reform Sports Podcast. Listen to them. Listen to the coaches. Listen to the athletes. And from all of that, you will understand why it's not important for your child to commit to play a particular sport at a particular school at the age of 12. And that's available now. I mean, it's like, I think that, you know, going back to uh, reform sports project, I think that that's the work that you've done. I mean, that's 99 podcasts, 99 perspectives, and it's available. And to me, that's a great service to parents, to kids, to coaches. Uh, and, you know, all you have to do is listen to these, you know, these are people that, that have lived it, that understand it. And, and you can, I think, derive some, I don't know, some strength and it'll empower parents to make that hard decision, even though in the moment, it may feel as though, you know, you're sort of disadvantaging your child because all of the other parents you know, are signing their kids up for three different teams and pouring all of their time and money into those programs. You can make an informed decision based on a different perspective. And I think that's really important in terms of of what you've done through Reform Sports Project. You know, it's funny when this is a question I would ask to to a parent, you know, obviously we're not going to get an answer here, but it's something to think about. It's like you're bringing your kid to a school you know, maybe you're choosing which school to you send your kid to. Maybe you have to send them to a certain school. Who knows? But do you do some due diligence? You know, do you figure out the pros and cons of that school? You know, a lot of people are very conscientious of their diet, especially the food they give their kids. Is that something? Do you look up the data? Do you find out the information? Do you try to figure out so you can make the most informed decision? You make a house purchase, you make a car purchase, you know, you make a financial decision of any sort. I would think most people who are concerned about the result of that or have a vested interest would try to gather as much information to make the most informed decision. Don't just sign your kid up for a team because, you know, Johnny Appleseed's parents said, you know, oh, the coach is great. Like, do your homework, do your due diligence, listen to the pod, find out perspective because the guests that we have on have resumes. They have legit resumes at the highest levels that could give you insight for free. You know, so why wouldn't you take advantage of that? You know, why wouldn't you want access to that information to just, if anything else, be able to have a perspective and, and the opportunity when you get to a crossroad, you know, to be able to know which way you should turn because you only get one shot and let's face it, it all starts at home, you know, with parents and guardians, you know, with the influence that we have on the kids, but what are the next people that are around them, right? Their teachers, uh, their coaches. Don't ever underestimate the impact of a coach. It could make or break. I have some coaches that um, have unbelievable relationships to this day, 25, 30 years later, and I have some I wouldn't want to be within a half a mile of, and that's okay. But don't underestimate the impact a coach can have on a kid. Find out the information, find out the data, and I think we have a, a library of content that can help you do that. 
Thanks for joining us for our 100th episode. Peter and I continue our conversation next week where we dive further into our goals for reform sports and the future of the youth sports industry. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review our podcast as we work to grow our community of supporters and advocates. For more Reform Sports content, please subscribe to our newsletter and blog at reformsportsproject.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.